good to see you guys today, and I hope you and your family have had a great Christmas break. I know my family has. We have uh, done just uh, kind of loafed as a family together. It's been good to be together. We've eaten lots of sweets and watched lots of football, which makes a good combination to start the year off strong, right? And even my UK Wildcats won a bowl game yesterday, so this uh, 2022 is off to a good start, right? All right, not as many UK fans in the 11 o'clock service as 9 o'clock, but anyway. All right, thank you. I hear, I see that hand. I see that hand. Well, uh, I hope it's been a good couple of uh, days for you to be with your family, and I hope 2022 is off to a good start, even though we're just two days in. And I thought it might be fun to uh, start this year off just with a little bit of a game. I'm going to make a description of someone, and I want you to listen and think who this person is. These are real people, and I'll describe them to you, and you try to think of who this might be. Here's the first one. This person is known for his military victories and courageous leadership as we as a country declared our independence from England and established a new country. He was married, but he never had children biologically of his own. He was known to be a devout follower of God. He um, had many leadership roles in a local church. He had no formal education, and he started his career as a surveyor, but later became a military person. He was notable general in several wars, and he was eventually voted unanimously the first president of the United States. Who is this person? George Washington. All right, you guys are off to a good start. Let's do the number two. This person was born as a Gemini, which indicates intellect, but... She was known more for her beauty, though her personal library contained up to 400 books with a wide range of subjects from like literature, art, drama, biography, poetry, politics, theology, philosophy, even psychology. She was discovered randomly on Sunset Boulevard, and as she became famous, she quickly changed her name from Norma Jean Mortensen by combining her mother's last name with the first name of a musical artist from the 1920s. She received worldwide fame as a singer, actor, and model, but she was also a philanthropist and poet. Who's this person? Marilyn Monroe. All right. Two for two, some of you. Okay. Let's keep going. Number three. This person is known for his witty humor, his broad frame, and his love for God and people. He hails from the state of Ohio, but he spent 30 plus years in southern Indiana serving others and being creative. He's never published a book, but he has wisdom and wisecracks that could fill volumes. He's now serving God and his church on the coast of northern Florida with his wife and two kids. Todd Bussey, all right. Some of you are on a roll. Last one, here we go. This person enjoys serving behind the scenes, finds joy in helping kids, and has a few skills that you might not be aware of, like singing, playing the piano, even played on her high school volleyball team and was a collegiate cheerleader. She's participated in multiple global mission trips, serving in places like Kenya, Tunisia, Panama, Mexico, Thailand. She finds her current opportunities to serve with her family and work as a work as a developmental therapist. She enjoys a good movie or a TV series to stream, especially late at night. And she's unforced in her fanship of the University of Kentucky Wildcats. Who is this person? My wife, Christy. Yeah, that's right. Good. Now, if you've heard it said there, behind every good man, there's a good woman. If you consider me a good man, you should really get to know Christy because she's the better part of this deal, let me tell you, okay? Isn't it amazing what we can learn about someone from someone else, right? 
I mean, no one in this room ever got to meet George Washington, maybe not even Marilyn Monroe, but we know a lot about them. We can say we know them by learning from people who did know them, who spent time with them, who experienced them. And many of you in this room know Todd Bussey or even my wife, and through your interaction with them, you've grown to love them or have relationship with them because of proximity and multiple interactions. Well, today we're kicking off this year with a teaching series that focuses on the book of Psalms. And we chose to kick off this year with this study specifically because being with God is really important to us as we learn how to live and love like Jesus. In fact, we have created a whole bunch of resources and action steps to help us as a congregation and individually learn how to be with God. We call that collection of resources the roadmap. And if you're not familiar with the roadmap, you should hit this QR code or you can go to this website, cccgo.com forward slash roadmap. You can subscribe to the roadmap. It's chock full of resources that will help you learn how to live in love like Jesus by being with God, being with others, as well as being sent. The resources you'll find at the roadmap are written by people who have a deep abiding relationship with God. And you can learn a lot about God from them. It's designed to help you do that. But it's also designed to help equip you to personally have a relationship with the same God that they know. The book of Psalms is a collection of, of songs, of poems, and prayers recorded from a handful of sources, primarily mostly from a guy that we know who is named David. David is, we know from the Old Testament. He was a part of Israel and he also became the king of Israel. He was described as a man after God's own heart. He had a deep fellowship with God. And we can see how he used his words like a paintbrush to create a rich and, and deep, clear portrait of God, his many attributes. And he did that so that you and I would not just get to know God from what he said, but we'd be equipped to get to know God for ourselves. Through the prayers and songs of the Psalms, we see God through a lens of the author's varying emotions and also through many seasons of life. And you and I can be inspired by this wonderful book to encounter God in ways similar to those who we get to read from. Discover who God is for ourselves and also grow in our relationship with him. We want everyone who calls Crossroads home to read through the entire book of Psalms this month. I did math in Kentucky, but I think I can make this work. There's 150 Psalms. There's 30 days left in January. So if you read, read five Psalms a day, you'll make it through the entire book. Some are short, some are long. You can pace yourself. We don't want to just send you out there on this task by yourself. We actually want to provide you with some resources. So at this website, cccgo.com forward slash series, we have some reading plans that you can subscribe to. If you right now are not in the practice of reading the Bible on a daily basis, I would encourage you to choose the 31-day reading plan through Psalms. It basically does the math for you. It takes those 150 Psalms, gives you certain ones to read every day. It also gives you a nice little checkbox that you can mark to say you've done that. It'll help you develop a spiritual practice of being in God's word every day. It's really important. If you have read through the Psalms before, or maybe you already have a practice of, of reading God's word for yourself, I'd encourage you to jump into the one that we also provide there called Psalms in 30 Days. It's a little more intense of an experience. It's a little more liturgical in its nature. It's really helpful in developing a rule of life to help you, help you develop spiritual practices that help you be with God on a regular basis, to experience God 
in your life. That's what it's there for. I want to be clear that this is not just a good suggestion or just another list of things to do for a good New Year's resolution. This is actually what life revolves around. Understanding God, meditating on his, on his word day and night. In fact, David kicks off the whole Psalms in Psalm chapter one by saying, if you want to be stable, if you want to have a life that's flourishing, if you want to have a productive, fruitful life, meditate on God's word both day and night, all day long. Psalms was the divinely inspired hymn book of the public worship of God in ancient Israel. The songs and prayers recorded there were never intended just to be read. They were written to be experienced. During the Middle Ages, the Benedictine monasteries, they would sing and pray all 150 psalms every week. We're not talking about once a month. We're talking about every week they would go through all of the psalms. In fact, the book of Psalms was the primary book of the Bible or the only book of the Bible most Christ followers would have had in this time. Throughout Christendom, all theologians and leaders of the church have believed that Psalms should play a vital role in our public worship gatherings, but also, maybe even more importantly, in the personal, private, personal relationship that you and I can have with God. Tim Keller says this, we're not simply to read the Psalms, we are to be immersed in them so that they profoundly shape how we relate to God. The Psalms are the divinely ordained way we relate to God to God. Some have described Psalms as a mini Bible because they, throughout the Psalms, you'll see the history of salvation from creation all the way through the Old Testament law that was given from God to Moses on Mount Sinai. You'll see the people of Israel wrestle and finally turn their back on God and be put into captivity. You see, the, the, the Psalms point to this Messiah who would bring restoration and renewal of all things. Psalms is more than just a book of theology. Every situation in life is represented in the book to train us for every possible spiritual, social, and emotional situation, to show us what the dangers are, what we should keep in mind, what our attitude should be, how to talk to God about what's going on, and how to ask for help when we need it. In the same book on Psalms that Tim Keller authors, it says this, the Psalms put the undeviating understanding of the greatness of the Lord alongside our situations so that we may have a correct proportion of things. Every feature and circumstance of life is transmitted into the Lord's presence and put into context of what's true about him. The Psalms are written to be prayed, to be recited, to be sung, and to be done, not merely just read. So, As we walk through our journey through the Psalms, I wanna challenge you to engage. I want you to read personally along as we go through the entire book of Psalms. And then every week when we come together, we're gonna focus on a a character trait that we see revealed about God from the Psalms. And today we're gonna be focusing on the character trait of sovereignty. Now, sovereign is not a word that we have good handles for because we live in a democratic uh, country and also, We as Americans are not real high on the idea of submission. We enjoy our personal independence, right? And so here's some words that might help define sovereign. Superior, greatest, supreme in power and authority, ruler, independent of all others. Some slang phrases that you might be more familiar with would be head honcho, where the buck stops, or goat, the greatest of all times, right? 
When in reference to God Almighty, sovereign means that there is absolutely nothing that happens in the universe that's outside of God's authority and his influence. He has no limitations. We use some other big words like omniscient to refer to God being all-knowing or omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful. Those speak of his sovereignty. They describe him. God is in control. Let's listen how the psalmist describes God's sovereignty in Psalm 93. It reads this. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure because those first two sentences are true. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voices. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. In plain English, the psalmist says, God reigns. He is seated on a throne high above the earth. In 1961, Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gangarin supposedly said as he exited the Earth's atmosphere these words, I don't see any God up here. Now, this man was misguided because he expected to see God floating around on some cosmic throne outside the universe, right? But the psalmist says that God is robed in majesty. He's armed with strength, which are descriptions of his power, his unrivaled position. And because of this being true, the world is firm and secure because it's in good hands. As we read through the Psalms, you're going to pick up on some language that's used in these poems or songs that might be unfamiliar to you. They might be hard to figure out. They are images or similes and metaphors that describe God's character and the truth about him. In this Psalm specifically, the Psalmist describes God's sovereignty by referring to the seas, the pounding waves and the great waters. In ancient Near Eastern literature, the sea was pictured as dominant, as powerful, as uncontrollable. Many of you, I'm sure, have been to the ocean and you have seen or heard the roar of the waves. You may have ventured into the water and felt the power of the seas. Well, God is more powerful than the ocean, the waves, the waters, because he created them. They get his, their power from him. He's in control over the seas. He's superior to them. God is strong and capable. He can help us in our time of need. He created the world and he's sovereign over all things. He's not limited by space and time. In fact, nothing can limit him. God's powerful. And his words, his statutes, they stand firm. They're not tossed about like from the winds or the waves. That means that he is trustworthy, that what he says is true. That he is stable, he's reliable, he's perfect, he's trustworthy. If it would be one thing for God to be sovereign and to be unholy. I mean, that might remind you of like a boss that you worked for who was not filled with integrity. Or maybe a coach that you played for who always bent the rules. Or maybe just a leader that you don't trust. God is not only sovereign, he's actually also trustworthy. And that makes him somebody we would want to have a relationship with and certainly worthy of our worship. Listen how David puts some of those same descriptions of God in another psalm. It might sound familiar. We read it earlier already. Psalm 29. 
Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The, verse, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf. Sarian, uh, excuse me, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. You and I have seen that kind of power on display here recently in the tornadoes that ripped through the Midwest. This past Monday, I went down with a team from here at Crossroads and partnering with uh, some other churches here in the area and also our partner there in the Dawson Creek area. We were there, our Dawson Springs area. We were there just to serve the people of that community. We spent a lot of time in the Princeton, Kentucky area. And there for the first time in my life, firsthand, I got to see the power of God on display. Some of these pictures describe or put into pictures just the devastation that can be caused because of such a powerful storm. To see trees that are mighty just be splintered or twisted and, and splintered into millions of pieces left me with lots of emotions. But one of those emotions was just this overwhelming sense of awe of the God who could create such a powerful act of nature. Think about some of the pictures that you might use to describe God's power. Things you have seen or experienced that only God can do. You know, for some, recognizing God's sovereignty is acknowledging that he is God and you are not. Here might be a newsflash to you right as we start a brand new year, but you are not the center of your own universe. You are not capable of sustaining yourself. You aren't in control of the universe, and sometimes it takes a tornado or some other disaster to awaken you up to the fact that God is in control and that you are not. For others, recognizing God's sovereignty comes with a realization that we don't have to be in control. When things are spinning out of control or closing in around us, when we don't feel like we have the strength within ourselves to hold on or keep going, God's sovereignty is comfortable. Listen to this truth that is filled with a promise from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. This psalm is one of the psalm of ascents. Then they, these section of psalms were used as worshipers would make their way to Jerusalem. They would make a pilgrimage through the Judean countryside that were filled with hills. And these hills would cause the traveler to be anxious and, and be fearful because in those hills often were the threat of robbery or attack. And the psalmist asked this question, who can I count on helping me? Well, God's sovereignty 
is comforting because God is maker of heaven and earth. He's powerful. And more than just being capable, he's available and he's willing to help. He's our protector. Did you notice the attention that God gives to every step of the path? We're placing every foot just where it should be so that there wouldn't be a slip. It reminds me of what David said in Psalm 119, 105. Your word, God, is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. God watches us over day and night. He's sun up to sundown available. He's aware of our coming and our going. It reminds me of that moment in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah offers and challenges a duel to the prophets of Baal. He said, let's see who the real God is. And he challenged the prophets of Baal to make an altar to their God. So they built this altar of stone. They took some wood and put it on top of it. They cut up an animal and placed it on top of the wood. And then they began praying to their God, Baal, to send down fire. And from sunup to about noon, they prayed and they danced and they sang, all to get the God Baal's attention, asking him to send down fire. About noon, Elijah, I like his spirit, he just starts taunting the prophets of Baal. He's like, what's the deal? I thought your God was God. I mean, where is he? Is he on a trip? Is he asleep? One translation says, is he using the bathroom? I mean, what's the deal? Where's he at, right? And so then they spend from noon until sundown, cutting themselves with swords and stabbing themselves with spears, letting their blood flow all to get Baal's attention, right? And still nothing. So then Elijah builds his altar. He puts some wood on top. He cuts up an animal and places it on top of the wood. And then he does something unusual. He grabs some large jars of water, four of them. He pours water all over the sacrifice, the wood, and the altar. He does that three times. 12 jars of water soaking the animal, the wood, everything about the altar. And then he prays a simple prayer. God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Show that you are God. And fire came down from heaven. It burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, licked up all the water in the trench and like even left a mark where the soil was, where the altar was. And everybody's like, whoa, you're God's God. I mean, it was undeniable, right? Talking about the sovereignty of God. It was very clear that day who the real God was. Within the fire fell, it burned up all those things. God has proved that God is sovereign over all things, over all other gods. He's attentive to our prayers, to our needs. He is capable and willing to respond and show his power and give us strength and help us. But this certainly begs a question about God's sovereignty too, doesn't it? I mean, if he's so powerful and he cares so much, then why did my brother die unexpectedly at 46 years old? Why is my mom being just reeked of her life, ripped of her life due to Alzheimer's? Why are people born with mental disabilities? Why is there COVID-19 and cancer to which there seems to be no cure for all kinds of things? Why do bad things happen in the world if God is in control? If he's so good, if he's so kind, if he's so attentive, then where is he? Well, those are fair questions to ask. Why do I know that? Because I read them in the Psalms. David and others ask questions like this, Psalm 10, 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Where are you? Why aren't you acting, is David's question. Psalm 22 reads, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of my anguish? My God, I cry out to you day by day, but you don't answer. By night, I find no rest. Those words were quoted by Jesus from the cross. And then in Psalm 44, awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Maybe you've asked some very similar questions in your own life. These are all fair questions. And God is big enough to handle us asking these and many others. His sovereignty means that there is nothing that limits him. And his sovereignty also means his purposes won't be thwarted. And sometimes His purposes are not our purposes. Sometimes his ways are not our ways. Isaiah quotes the Lord speaking of himself when he says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. When you and I have these type of questions that are raw, filled with maybe frustration, disappointment, or certainly even hurt, God offers his sovereignty. He offers his wisdom, his unfailing love, and these can bring us comfort and peace. One of David's psalms offers us a way to express ourselves in humility, dependence, and trust in these moments. Look at his words in Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but... I've calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. I think this is one of those powerful pictures of how you and I can find comfort and peace in those moments where we must trust God's sovereignty. We humbly, calmly, and confidently Put our trust in him. We simply seek him, cling to him, and let him hold us close. Like a child not wanting anything from his mother, just resting in his or her mother's arms, just abiding and trusting. There are so many other revelations of God's character and and moments of worship and, and surrender that we're going to experience as we work through Psalms this month. But today I want to ask you, maybe how are you starting this new year? I'm sure that some of you are starting this new year strong. You're you're ready to go out there and take the world by storm. You want to make things happen and get things done. I wonder, how do you respond to God's sovereignty? Do you recognize before you get any further into this year that God is in control and that you are not? Are you willing to trust him more than yourself, to let him lead and let his purposes prevail instead of yours, even more than yours. I wonder, can you find yourself drawing near to God in trust and surrender to let him accomplish more than you could ever think, dream, or imagine, even when it's not exactly what you would have drawn up or gone after? Will you trust his sovereignty and surrender to him? Or maybe you're starting this year uh, maybe a little more tentative. You have some anxiety or some skepticism about when the next shoe is going to drop, how you're gonna handle the pressure or the disappointment that you already feel and how you're gonna be able to survive another day, more or less another month or the next year. I wonder how you will respond to God's sovereignty. 
Do you need to cast all your cares on him who cares for you? Who is capable to work in and through you according to his plans and by his resources to let God be in control? Will you trust his sovereignty and rest in him? I love that the psalmist doesn't treat the sovereignty of God in a cold kind of abstract manner. The beauty of this book is that it treats God's sovereignty as the heart and soul of the Psalms. Over a third of the book can be calculated to be directed or focused on the theme of God's sovereignty. It's the theme of the whole book. And I think that's very pivotal as we think about who God is and how to relate to him and actually how we start this new year. God's people have nothing to fear because God is sovereign and that God is also our savior. If he didn't withhold Jesus, the answer to our greatest need, he will not hold back from us anything else that we need. He holds the very life of his people in his hands and no one can touch that life apart from his appointment. That's why he's worthy of our worship and our surrender. And that's why we should pursue a relationship with him. And the book of Psalms teaches us how to do just that. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for revealing yourself to us. You've revealed yourself through nature. Romans 1.20 tells us that from what you have made, we can see your eternal power, your divine nature. Whether it's cold or hot or windy or calm or stormy or sunny, God, we can see your handiwork, your power at work through what you've made, and we worship you. God, you've revealed yourself through your word. You've given us pictures of, of how we can understand your character, your power. Today, we've seen just displays of your sovereignty through words of the psalmist. And God, I pray that that would draw a bigger picture of who you are than maybe we had when we came here today. God, my prayer for that person who thinks they are the center of the universe, who thinks that they can handle anything they can, that comes their way on their own, this may be full of pride instead of humility. God, I pray today that they would see you for who you are. I pray that they would feel their need for you. God, that you are the only thing that they need. You are all that they need. God, I pray that they would surrender to you and your sovereignty in their life and trust you for your plans, not their own. God, I also pray for that person who feels frustrated or, or fearful, who feels overwhelmed, God. I pray that they would find comfort in your sovereignty, that they would rest in your arms knowing that you are in control, that you are working for their good. God, that they would trust you. They would find rest in you. They'd find peace in you in your sovereignty, God. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your son, Jesus. God, thank you for demonstrating your character in such a tangible way that you are not just sovereign, but you are sacrificial. That you are not just reigning, but you are forgiving. God, you extended to us salvation as a free gift. God, I pray that anybody here who's never experienced you as savior would do that today. God, I thank you for your word. Would you teach us who you are? Would you help us for ourselves to have a relationship with you that would be life-giving and fruit-bearing? And because of that, other people would see a picture of you through us. I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.